Well, I almost didn't believe David and Eric when they said, I don't think we've sung that here. And I'm like, are you serious? Really? But now we have. Uh, and I'm grateful that we have. And it goes well with what we'll be studying this morning. Uh, if you'd like to uh, open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, our memory verse for this month is taken from verses 28 through 31. And I'll begin by reading those verses together. Uh, just as an aside, um, Stephanie and I had a brilliant, uh, I'll say brilliant, brilliant idea uh, this past uh, week and a half or so. Uh, with this memory verse, uh, there's a verses app that we have on all of our devices, and the girls have to go through and complete a couple of rounds on the verses before they can get access to a device. Uh, and so uh, just a little parenting tip thrown in for free. Uh, so we've thought and looked at and studied, and Stephanie and I are doing that ourselves, trying to make sure everybody's on a level playing field with that. These words are so powerful and so beautiful and so helpful. So let's read them together. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait. Wait on the Lord, we're told. And you've probably been told that at different points in your life. You've probably read that because it's found everywhere in the Bible. This idea of waiting on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. But if I'm talking about myself and maybe others of us in this room, some of us are not very good at waiting. And it doesn't matter if it's waiting on something good or waiting on something bad. If we're waiting on something good, what do we say? I can't hardly wait. I can't wait for it to happen. How much longer until it gets here? Let's make a countdown so that we can have this thing that we're waiting for. But something bad, well, I just want to get this over with. What's taking so long? I, I can't stand waiting any longer. Good or bad, we don't like waiting. And we live in a society where we've done so many things to try and eliminate waiting as much as we can. Uh, here in just a little bit, we're all going to go and we're going to eat. Some of us are going to go home. Others of us are going to go to restaurants. Uh, and we want to get out at a certain time so that we can beat the Baptists and the Pentecostals to the restaurant, right? We don't want to wait when we get there. And, and, and so many places now have apps on your phone where you can check in on the way to the restaurant so you don't have to wait when you get there. And we do everything in our power not to wait. We live in the Netflix era, right? Gone are the days when you had to wait until your show comes out at a specific time on a specific day. And you have to wait a whole week before you see another episode. Even reruns, you had to do that. Now we can binge the entire season. Nay, we can binge the entire show. But even Netflix started with waiting when Netflix started, and apparently Netflix still does this if you want to do this, you had to sign up for a DVD that you then waited on, get this, to come in the mail so that then you could take the DVD and play it. We've eliminated waiting. 
And all of this not waiting in our lives, I think sometimes gives us a false sense of control over everything. I don't want to wait, and so I'm going to eliminate waiting. And we struggle sometimes in those areas where we can't manipulate or automate or rush things where we're not waiting on them. Things on which we must wait. But there are some things that we can't rush. We can't automate. We can't manipulate. Like spring, for example, right? We all want winter to be over. That stinking groundhog every single year gives us three more weeks of winter, right? And we want an early spring, but that's rare. We have to wait on spring to get here. We have to wait on big things like, like having a baby, right? You can't rush that. In fact, if you do rush that, if the baby comes early, then there's all kinds of complications that could be caused by that. You can't rush it. Finding a spouse. Well, we've tried that automate that, haven't we? We have dating apps and websites, but there can be dire consequences to rushing into such a permanent relationship. Maybe it's training for something like running a marathon, for example. Uh, It'd be a bad thing if we didn't train for that, if we just showed up and said, hey, I'm ready to run. That wouldn't go very well, right? We have to wait and train during that time. And maybe uh, for some in the room, it's growing up. Uh, We want to grow up, we want to be grown, and then when we're grown, we're like, maybe this wasn't quite as great as I anticipated it being. But we have to wait on that. It's not something that just happens overnight. And all of those things teach us something about God. God can't be rushed. God is going to do what he does, and he's going to do what is best according to his time and according to his wisdom. So... If waiting is so important, and it's this concept that's repeated over and over in our Bibles, how do we wait? What does waiting look like? Well, let's think about that for a little bit this morning. As we consider this idea of waiting on the Lord, we have to wait. We have to wait on Him. He cannot be rushed, so how do we wait on the Lord? Well, I would suggest this morning that waiting on the Lord involves two main elements. If we're going to wait on the Lord, that means we have to hope and we have to trust. Turn to Psalm 33, if you would. We'll refer back to Isaiah chapter 40, but there are a number of psalms that talk about waiting. We would do well, and in fact, all of the points that I'm going to make this morning could be made out of the text of Psalm 27 that David mentioned. But we see this throughout the psalms, throughout the prophets, in the book of Isaiah, over and over, as we've been studying. But look there in Psalm 33, and the last three verses, verses 20 through 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in Him, because we have trusted in His holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So our soul waits for the Lord, and in that we have to trust in his holy name, and we have to hope in him and what he is doing. So those are the two main elements of waiting on the Lord, hope and trust. And so let's examine those in a little bit more detail. And I'm going to give you some examples throughout the Bible for these two things. So waiting on the Lord requires hope. And we see that again back there in Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, the verse before our memory verse is verse 27. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 27. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by him? Now, maybe Isaiah means this as a rhetorical question, but I want you to answer it. Why were they saying this? Why do you say, you people of God, why would we say? Why would we say that my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over by God? Why would we say that? Because it hadn't happened. Because my just claim has not been met by the Lord. It it appears as though God is not working I would say that in a period when I have to what? When I have to wait. That's when I get that attitude. And what this attitude reveals in us is a lack of hope. A lack of hope that God is going to do what it is He said He's going to do. And I need to develop in myself as a Christian a positive enough outlook to think, you know what? It could happen. You're telling me... It could happen. There's a chance these things could happen. But for us as Christians, it's not just, well, you know, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket and, you know, maybe I'm going to win. No, it's desire for those things, but also expectation. That's what biblical hope is. I believe that it is going to happen because God said it was going to happen. I need this kind of hope. Uh, Stephanie, uh, in our relationship, you probably already know this. I'm the optimist. She's the realist the way things are going to happen. But she wears a sweatshirt sometimes. I don't know if it's for me or for her or for both of us, but she wears a a sweatshirt that says, what if? And, And that's the game we get into with ourselves sometimes, right? Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this bad thing, this horrible thing takes place? But this sweatshirt says, what if it all works out? I mean, can we hope for that? Can we anticipate that? If we're going to wait for the Lord, we're going to have to have that kind of hope. And when we lose hope, we lose the ability to wait. Uh, Turn to Psalm chapter 27, or the 27th Psalm, excuse me. The 27th Psalm. Uh, Again, we could make all of these points from Psalm 27, but I'm just going to read verses 13 and 14. Psalm 27 This is how the psalm ends. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What is that? That's hope. I would have lost heart if I didn't have hope in God and His working and His promises. Verse 14, therefore, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord. And in order to wait, we have to have hope. Um, And and I think we see this probably from a physical perspective. People who lose hope stop waiting. The greatest uh, defeat in my fandom, in my time as a sports fan and all of my life, was uh, the 2013 San Antonio Spurs lost in the NBA Finals to the Miami Heat. Um, I was wearing a Tim Duncan jersey. I remember ripping it off, throwing it against the wall. And Stephanie's like, who have I married, you know? But game six of the NBA Finals, the Spurs had it won. 
They were playing in Miami in this game, and with about 28 seconds left, they were up five. And five is kind of a magical number in basketball, four and five down at the end of the game. That means you're probably going to win. And in fact, everybody was so sure the Spurs were going to win this game that the little people who came at the end of a big championship, they came and they roped off the court so nobody would come on the court for the trophy presentation. I mean, that's how close they were to winning. And not just that... You could see it on the broadcast, all of these fans in Miami, it's Miami, you know, there's other things to do. Yeah, it's the NBA Finals, but, you know, I got other things to do tonight. And so, all of these fans were getting up and going to the exits. And in the midst of a timeout there at the end of the game, about half of the fans in the arena left. And they missed the greatest comeback in NBA history, maybe in sports history. And I got a little bit of solace in all of my pain and grief at the Spurs losing that those fans were not allowed back into the arena once they left. Here are these fair weather fans who lose hope and they're not allowed back into the arena. They missed something great. They missed something that they had been looking for and waiting on because they lost hope. They lost the reward that could have been waiting on them because they stopped waiting. And that sounds a lot like Jesus's parables, doesn't it? We lose reward because we stop waiting on the Lord to come. Does that happen with us in our periods of waiting, in our periods of trial and pain? I think sometimes it does. In the book of Isaiah, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 8, we see this dichotomy between the bad things that were happening and then waiting on God to make these things right. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17, Isaiah is saying that Assyria is coming, they're going to invade the land, they're going to take some people into captivity. But in verse 16, he says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Right now, God is hiding his face. It is as though God is not here and God doesn't listen and God's not working. But even though that's my perception, I'm still going to wait and hope on the Lord. And what do we see in the very next chapter? In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then we see more judgment in 9 and 10. But then in chapter 11, in verse 1, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel or teaching and might or miracles, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In the midst of all of this waiting, in the midst of all of this judgment, God reminds them that Jesus is coming. And it is hope that it would allow them to wait on the Lord. And there may be pain and suffering and frustration. In fact, there will be those things. But no, when we come out on the other side of the suffering, when we come out on the other side of the judgment, when we come out on the other side of the pain, after all of it is over, we will rejoice. 
Turn one more passage about this hope. Isaiah chapter 25 and verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. We praise the name of the Lord for all sorts of things, but in verses 8 and 9, this is for what we praise Him. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of His people will be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And it will be in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. No matter how dark it seems in the present, the day we are waiting for, if we're Christians, the day we are waiting for will come. The day of salvation, the day of the Lord. If we maintain hope and if we maintain trust in the Lord. Well, I'm a little behind there, aren't I? So there are all those references that I just said. But secondly, waiting on the Lord requires maintaining trust. And these are our two points for the sermon this morning. But this idea of maintaining trust maybe requires a little bit more thinking from us. Yes, we know we have to hope in the Lord and and believe that the Lord can do what it is He says He can do. But we have to trust in those things, have faith in those things as well. Back there in Isaiah chapter 40, notice verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? And he goes on to describe this Lord as one who neither faints nor is weary. He is one who can fulfill us and give us strength because he has all power and might. You know this. That's what Isaiah says to these people. You know it. You've heard it. Do you believe it? And that's the same question for us. We know the attributes of God. I mean, if you've been around Christianity any length of time, if you've heard any number of sermons, you've heard about the power of the Lord. You've heard about what it is He has done and will do and can do for you. But do you believe it? Do you trust it to be true? Waiting is really a symbol of trust and submission. Um, My parents in here, have any of you ever told your kids, wait right here until I get back? Have have anybody else, maybe that's abandonment. Maybe we're not supposed to do that. Maybe we're supposed to helicopter all around them. But we've done that, right? Wait right here until I get back. And when I tell them that, what am I asking them to do? Uh, I'm asking them to trust me. To trust in two things. Number one, that I will come back, right? Wait right here until I come back. I'm going to come back. But number two, that I'm doing what's best for you and telling you to wait here. And what is it the kids always want to do? No, I want to come with you. I want to do it too. What is it that we're doing? Where are we going? All of the questions. No, you just have to wait right here until I come back. And sometimes that's what God tells us. And we need to have trust enough in Him to do just that. We have to maintain our faith and trust in God uh, in four different areas, in four different ways. We have to maintain faith and trust in God's perspective. In a time like Isaiah's, where there's this judgment and captivity, or in our own time, when we see sin around us, or maybe there's trouble in our own lives, it's, it's hard sometimes to remember that God is in control We want things to be made right. And when do we want them made right? 
right now. In fact, five minutes ago would be better. I want things made right, and I want them made right right now. But God's purposes are beyond that. They're beyond being caught up in this moment. And we have to mature in our faith to the point that we realize the only way God could truly make everything right, right now, I want everything made right, right now, the only way God could do that is if he did what? You thought about that? That's what we demand. I want God to make everything right, right now. The only way that he could do that is if he did what? If he sent his son right now. If he ended the world right now and brought all things into judgment. And maybe think about that. Whoa, wait a second. You know, Come Lord Jesus, I'm ready for him if he comes. But is that really what I want? Is that really what I'm asking for? Or do I realize as we talked about, um, as Ty talked about in the opening of this service, that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. Salvation for me, salvation for those that I love. And if God is going to continue to allow this world to exist, that means we're going to have to wait for him and his working and his providence. Turn over to Psalm 37, if you would. Psalm 37. The 37th Psalm. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. This idea of waiting on the Lord is found a number of places in Psalm 37. But let's read the first eight verses As you see in your Bible, there's a a section break right there. Here's what the psalmist says. Do not fret. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, don't misunderstand that. That's not genie, you know, in a bottle kind of, this is my wish, this is what I want. It's if we delight ourselves in the Lord. If the Lord's desires are our desires, then yes, he's going to give us those things. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I'm reminded a little bit of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where three times he says, do not worry in that section in Matthew chapter 6. Here, three times, the psalmist says, do not fret. Verse 1, verse 7, verse 8. And I want you to know, this is not God's version of calm down. You know, that's not what God is doing here. He's not just saying, do not fret, and then giving us no way to make that happen. Instead, God is saying that there is a reason why you shouldn't fret. Uh, think about us and our fretting. Um, you know, we fret about, we worry about all sorts of different things if we're not careful. But let's, let's make it something trivial. We think about, a, we talked about shows and movies, Netflix. You think about a show. 
Why is it we want to binge it? Why do we want to go to the next one and go to the next one? It's because it's on a cliffhanger, right? And we don't know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And why is it that we're so big about avoiding spoilers? I don't want any spoilers. We even say it ruins it, right? Because there's no big feeling there. There's no tension there if we already know what's going to happen. But it's also true. If we already know what's going to happen with our favorite character and we know everything's going to be okay and they're going to make it, we're not as worried. We don't fret as much. And in the context, on a much bigger scale, that's what God is talking about here through the psalmist. You do not fret because you know how all of this is going to end. We know how all things turn out. Don't worry about the waiting. When it looks like the world is winning, we just have to wait for the Lord's victory. We know that God is going to win in the end. And we know the end of the story from the beginning. We know that God sees that end and works toward that end, far beyond what we see in the meantime. And perhaps this period of waiting in your life or in my life is for my good. I wait I go through these things for my own growth. Or perhaps it's for the good of another person. If this waiting, if you're going through a period of waiting right now, if the waiting that you were having to go through where you say, why is this happening? Where is God working? If, if you knew the end of that, and the end of that was you're going through these things, you're waiting on these things so that the soul of your child might be saved. If you knew that in the end, would you be willing to go through the period? Would you be willing to wait? I don't know if that's the reason, but I know that God has a reason. That God can use a period of waiting for your good or the good of any number of other souls. And ultimately, I know that that is what God is working to. The long-suffering of the Lord is for salvation. And sometimes we have to go through periods of long-suffering for the same reason. You think about Joseph in Egypt. It's so easy for us to look at characters in the Bible and say, you know, well, of course, they waited. Look what they got out of it. But in the moment, that wasn't the case. At the end of it all, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, but as for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. That's with years and years and years of hindsight. You hear that word, hindsight? I see it, I know it, it's happened. But sight is different from faith. Sight is different from trust. And so with hindsight, we can look back and we say, yeah, it was worth the waiting. Look what God has done. But in the moment, in the moment we have to trust in God's perspective that he is working more than what we can see. We have to wait and maintain trust in God's perspective and in God's timing. We read just a moment ago here from Psalm 37 that evildoers, listen, shall be cut off. They that wait shall inherit. It will happen. It's not a matter of if. It's going to. It's a matter of what? It's a matter of when. It's a matter of timing. 
And waiting on the Lord means you have to place your trust in the Lord, not just in the short term, but in the long term. We are in this to the end, and we trust that He will make things right, but maybe not right away. Consider the things that you ask for, that you go to God in prayer for. Consider the promises that He makes to all of us who are His children. And God might answer yes according to His promises, but yes does not mean right now or right away. We have to wait on the Lord, and His timing is perfect. Turn back to Isaiah, this time to Isaiah chapter 30, and read just a few verses with me. Isaiah chapter 30. Start there in verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. And quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. You would not return to me. You would not wait on me. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses. Therefore you shall flee. And we will ride on swift horses. Therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. You say, I'm not ready for this. I want it to happen now. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five you shall flee till you are left as a pole on the top of a mountain and as a banner on a hill. Verse 18 shows the opposite. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So the Lord is waiting according to his purposes and we are blessed if we wait on him. God is working for our good if we will wait on Him. Instead of trying to uh, force it. You know, we try and force it ourselves. Anybody in here like that? You know, if something doesn't fit, you just force it. My dad's going to be here next week. My dad is the king at this. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's a giant hole in the wall. Sometimes it's fixed, right? But you try and force it. I'm going to make this happen. And I think sometimes in our life, that's the way we are as well. I'm not married yet. And I want to be married and I'm tired of waiting. So maybe we rush into a relationship with an ungodly mate who makes marriage a burden instead of a blessing. We should have waited. I'm not financially secure yet. And so we rush into some pie in the sky, too good to be true business arrangement. And we end up losing more money instead of gaining more money. Maybe on a more hurtful level. I'm not vindicated in this situation where I've been accused of wrong yet. And so we rush into proving ourselves and attacking another person, our accuser, and we only make matters worse instead of better. When the whole time God is working, and He was working, if we will wait on Him. Waiting is ultimately a matter of faith And trust. In Luke chapter 18, if you turn over there, Luke chapter 18 and verses 7 and 8, this is a parable about prayer and persistent prayer, and that's one of the best things that we can do while we are waiting. We can go to God in prayer about it over and over and over again. And this is the parable that Jesus tells about that. But notice just Jesus' application in verses 7 and 8. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Is God going to avenge his elect? 
I need to hear your heads rattle on this one. Yes, absolutely. And that's the answer in the text. Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Waiting is a demonstration of our faith that any delay in God's action is something we need for our ultimate spiritual good. It's a matter of faith to trust that God will answer with what is best, but God will also answer with when is best for us and for others. Waiting on the Lord requires maintaining trust, number three, in God's will and God's word. Psalm 130 and verse 5, I will wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. Psalm 130 and verse 5. Of course, in the biblical sense, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. It means doing the will of God and waiting on his deliverance, like the faithful in captivity that we're studying from the book of Isaiah. I I trust in the Lord, so I rely on him. I follow his direction. I will follow his guidance, his path, and his word on the matter rather than seeking my own way. Psalm 37 and verse 34 says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. You will see it if you keep his way. If you continue to work according to God's will and according to God's word. That's tough. It's tough to work while we're waiting and to maintain doing that according to God's will. The longer we wait, the bigger temptation there is to do something outside of God's will. Uh, You think about Abram and Sarai with the whole Hagar situation, and Hagar's like, hey, you know, we don't have a child, God promised one, you're old, I'm old, you need to go into Hagar and you need to take care of this. And there was trouble, well, they're still having trouble over there in the Middle East because of the nations that came from that relationship. All kinds of trouble came from it. And we're awfully hard on them for making that decision. Do you know how long they waited before they intervened? At least 10 years. They waited at least 10 years. God made the promise, you're going to have this child, wonderful. That's outlandish, but wonderful. 10 years later, we got to do something about this. I mean, we're just sitting around waiting. But what they did was not according to God's will. It was not according to God's word. You know how long ultimately they ended up having to wait for Isaac to come? 25 years. Now that's not a long time in the midst of history. But in the midst of a lifetime... Waiting on the will and word of God for 25 years is a long time to wait. But the growth that took place in both of them would allow them to become the parents of the nation of the family of God. It led them to the point where they had enough faith to fulfill God's purposes, even if that meant sacrificing the son of promise. And so we continue to work It doesn't mean we do nothing. It means doing God's will. And then finally, waiting on the Lord requires maintaining trust in God's strength, not our own. Have you ever noticed how the righteous are often caught up in the consequences, the sins of the unrighteous? We talked about that in Bible class this morning. And so often that happens And God's comfort in those moments is not to remove the trial or the consequences, though 
He does that from time to time. Instead, God's initial response is always to give us the strength necessary to face whatever it is we must face. Those good people who were carried into captivity like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Ezekiel and others, they still had to spend 70 years in captivity. They had to wait. But God gave them the strength to do so faithfully. Why? Because God is an inexhaustible source of strength. God never reaches the limit to where His strength is going to run out where he can't do it anymore, he can't uphold it anymore. God always has more strength, enough strength for all of us, and then some. Which brings us back to our memory verse in Isaiah chapter 40. Let's, let's read this last passage, and the lesson will be yours. We'll read this time just from those last couple of verses, verses 28 through 31. Have you not known... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? What about him? You've heard about him. What about him? He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary. Uh, you think about professional athletes. Even professional athletes get tired. And young men shall utterly fall but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God has strength enough to renew our strength. He can make us mount up with wings like eagles. He can make us run and not be weary. He can make us walk and not faint. And so perhaps you're in a period of waiting, maybe a period of testing because of the sins of another or your own sins. Maybe it's just a period of uncertainty where you're unsure what's going to happen next. Perhaps it's just time and chance has led you to a place where you're having to do a lot of waiting. What is required to receive this kind of help and strength from the Lord? To wait. To wait on the Lord. To wait on His timing to trust in His providence, to have patience through prayer that He can sustain you, to work as best you can according to His will, and wait with hope that He will fulfill His promises. How long? That's our question, isn't it? I can wait. I can wait if I know how long I have to wait. How long? Until He delivers me. And that may be now. It may be 70 years from now, as it was for the captives. It may not be until the day of my death. But however long the wait, may God give you and me the strength to do so. Wait on the Lord. But don't wait to come to the Lord. Because He is the source of all strength. And if we can help you this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing. Peace be thy will.